On this podcast, I was joined by the Football Development Officer, Paul McNeil. Paul's a really inspiring guy, and I first met Paul when I went to Ayrshire College for the Chris Boyd Charity Day, and Paul is someone who I've wanted to get on the podcast for a long time because I find Paul really inspiring because he opens up about his issues with dyslexia and also about about his father passing away from suicide. And I think it's really important that we address that it's okay not to be okay. And I would also like to say thanks to Paul, who has really helped me to open up in this podcast to talk about having a disability myself. I hope everyone enjoys this podcast. Thank you. Hey Paul, how you doing? I'm doing very well, Regan. How are you, Paul? Are you well? I'm doing good. Good. So, good. So, Paul, it's great to have you on. Thank you. I just, wa- I just wanted to ask you, how are you dealing with lockdown? <laughs> lockdown seems to have went on for forever. Um, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Probably the same as MDLs. I'm looking forward to when it's over. Um, and uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting back to whatever normality is again. But no, it's been it's been a challenge. But but hey, um, I'm in a, a fortunate position with my family that that we're all here, we're all still safe, which is probably the, the most important thing. So I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. So what would be your first football memory, Paul? Oh, right, and we a really good question there. First football memory. Um, can I give you two? Would that be okay? Can I give you yeah. a play and can I give you a, a going to watch? Would that be all right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so my first football memory of going to watch was was going to watch um, St. Mon, um for my sons. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a St. Mon fan, so, so I don't know if that's good, bad or indifferent. But um, I, I remember um, it was probably roughly the early 80s. I think it's probably... 81, 82, something like that. I would be about six, seven years of age. And um, I think it's always a tradition one. I mean, it's like father passing it on to son, if you know what I mean. So my dad said, right, we're going to, uh, we're going to the first, well, you're going to the football. And, I, and if I've been honest, I didn't really know what that meant. So off, off we went. And, and of course, you had to walk because, of course, there was no buses, we didn't have a car and. So off went this this walk, and I always remember he went for a pint. I sat outside with a bag of crisps because he only allowed in. And then I walked along Love Street, and it was back in the days where everybody just walked to like that 15 minutes before the game. Everybody kind of just went along, um, and it was really busy. And I remember him lifting me over the turnstile, and it, it was just crazy. And because the old Love Street isn't there anymore, it used to be a big hill you would go up. So you'd got this big hill um, to the stadium. And I always remember you went up this hill and as you turned it, the, the kind of corner, the, the pitch was in there. It must have, it would have been a late-on game. It was, it, I don't know if it was a jack, it was a, a winter game because the floodlights were on, although it was a Saturday. And I always remember just stopping. And, and, and my, my dad get tugged back with me um, and just stopping because he was holding my hand. And he went, what is it? And I went, What's that? And it was this big green pitch. And I remember just going, and because of the floodlights, you know, it's like the floodlights just make football look so spectacular. And um, I just remember it, and it was like, I was just like that. This is incredible. And and St. Mon won, and I'm positive Frank McAvenny might have scored that day. Um, so it shows you that it shows you how long ago it was, and like a bit of a, a guy who went on to be a legend of, of football scored. And it was just like, I was like that. Oh my goodness, this is like the best thing you can ever do in your life. And it was just, we came out and I got some sweets and all that. So it's just this yeah. memory that, that always comes back, Regan. It was just, it, it was incredible, uh, utterly, utterly incredible. And the second one was then um, potentially playing that kind of first, I probably played before then, but I always remember um, we had, a, we had a, a, a janitor at our school called Huey Bell, and Huey Bell was responsible for all football. He yeah. was just responsible. He, he would do it and he would make you. So I always remember he came in to the, I think it was the primary fours. I thought it was about primary four, something like that. That would be about 82. And I'm just saying, um, 
MD wants to stay behind the day. I'm I'm doing I'm doing a wee football thing, so MD wants to stay. And I remember we all stayed behind, but it was in days like I mean it was a red ash pitch and Nanny's had strips and we had one ball and it, but we just had all this this great fun. We just had really good fun and he was a nice guy and we he just went right, just run about, have a bit of fun and don't worry about it and and I just kind of and I always remember I'm, I'm dyslexic so I, I struggle quite hard at school and I, I remember just feeling this this emotional really really good happy memory wandering up the road forgetting that school had been bad just remembering that I'd ran about and had a bit of joy I don't think I scored I probably kicked the ball over a wall or something but they're the two they're the two earliest um, earliest great memories I have yeah so I just wanted to ask you was football coaching always a passion that you had or, or how did you first get into it oh man um I, I don't know if it was. I mean, I, 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 as I said, I really struggled. I really, really struggled at school. It was really tough. I was, I mean, I was being dyslexic, particularly in the eighties, and um, it was really hard. I, I found school horrendously yeah. hard. Um, I found the the part that I couldn't keep up in school, and and I found, I found it all really difficult. Football was always a get out. It was always one of those things that. You could go, you could watch, you could have a bit of fun with. It was great, and I, and I really enjoyed it. I did, I did want to be, and I, I remember being at school and thinking I wanted to be a PE teacher. But that simple door was never going to be open to me because no. I didn't, I, I just didn't have qualifications. Regan, I couldn't do it. I, I simply, I simply really struggled. And I remember being fifteen years of age and leaving school with limited qualifications, if any. And really, just going. I don't know where I'm going, and I became a, a, a an apprentice electrician. But I always had a, a burning ambition to to go back into sport or to try and leave. So it took me it took me the best part of probably another eleven years to eventually go back into into um, college and university. But I, I love what I do now. I, I love what I do now. You I mean I, I get to work in an industry that. I'm passionate about and, and and I just live so it was a bit of a different journey for me but certainly something that was always a burning ambition So do you remember your first coaching station? <sighs> um, yeah I do I, 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 I kind of do because um, it's where one legend Tony Fitz so Tony Fitzpatrick yeah. I came out I came out of um, I came out of uh, call, oh no, I was in college, sorry, I'd went back. So I left the shipyards and I went back into um, into college. Um, and of course, it was one of those ones where they tell you, you need to get a bit of work experience, go and find something, so on yeah. and so forth. So I had um, I had done a, a couple of my, my, uh, my early coaching um, qualifications. And I went to work with, um, one of my lecturers said, um, Go, I'll put you in touch with. So it was Tony Fitz. So it's quite a surreal moment because Tony Fitzpatrick is, a, of course, a St. Mon legend. I'm a big St. Mon fan, and of course, all of a sudden, I'm going to meet him. And um, he said, "So one day, he said, we come along to this school. I'm going to go and ask them if they'll let me." He was running a company at the time, to, uh, Total Soccer. So we come along, and um, I want to go and speak to the head teacher and say she'll do some some coaching. I yeah, said, I no problem. So I expected. I, I jumped in the car. And I expected it was Tony that was doing it. So Tony got out of the car. We went in the school. The head teacher went, oh, Tony, it's good to see you. Now, Tony's a bit of a legend, of course. So everybody wants to chat to him. Come on in, we'll have a bit of a chat. But So I went like that. Right, OK. And I'm just following it. And the head teacher went, right, um, the gym hall's just down there. All the boys and girls are waiting for you. And I went like that. And I remember looking around and going, who are they talking to? And they went, and I went, Tony. And he went, oh, Paul. Can you just go and take? I said we'd run a wee free session for the primary sevens, and I went. And I had never took a coaching session by this time. I had not. I hadn't taken one myself. I had done like wee bits yeah. and but I'd never really been responsible for. It. And I went. Um, I don't have any kit. I don't have any footballs or anything. And Tony went. I don't worry about that. And he shouted. The head teacher said, "He's got any footballs or anything in there?" And um, they went. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're in the back cupboard. So, so the next thing I got one football out and it was like 30 kids and it was like kids in wall bars and, and all that and eventually we got this kind of numbers game up and running and do you know something it was like although inside of me I was 
like panicking and sweating and I was going, this is at the end of it, about four or five of the young kids came up and went, that was brilliant, fun, thank you. That was great. I really enjoyed that. That was good. And I thought, this is really good. I, I want to do more of this. So from a fear factor, I was going, oh, no, I don't want to ever do this again. <laughs> to at the end of it going, oh, just, 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 just let me, just let me have, have more of this, please. So that was that was the first one, which was pretty daunting, if I'm being brutally honest. Yeah. So what advice would you have for anyone who wants to get involved in, in football coaching or sports coaching in general? I, I think it's it, it, it's do it if you have a if you have a dream, if you have an ambition, if you have a, a love affair for it. Yeah. I think a lot of people um potentially will go, Oh, I want to get any coaching because they maybe think, you know, something they'll end up in the the Premier League or Serie A and think that they'll go on. I think what you've got to have is 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 a sheer desire to love sport. You've got to, you've got to love the the sport because it, it's it can be long hours. You can be outside sometimes pouring rain. It's, I mean, it's not really a job. I don't think you I mean if you, you find something you love. So it's not really like going and saying. I, I mean, I worked in a shipyard, so I know what <laughs> what real work going down in the cold and all that's like. So I think for any any young person or anybody who would want to go into it, it's it's really enjoyable. Give it your all. Listen. I think you've got to listen to, to everybody. Be passionate and enthusiastic because if you've got a bundle of kids in front of you, you can be, and I'm, I'm nicking this one from one of my, my mates, uh, uh, um, Alan White, who does it at Hearts, be their best part of their day. So you can imagine that you, you might have some young people in front of you who've had a really bad day they don't want to get shouted at. They want to have fun and they want to leave with a big smile on your face. So I genuinely believe this, and a lot of people laugh at me when I say it. I think when we've got some magic dust in sport, particularly in football, you can throw it up and you can make a you can make a, a child believe they are Ronaldo. Yeah. Or they are they are Messi. They can you make them believe that. And then the next one is you can make their day a wee bit better. And they leave a bit of positivity and they go away. So anybody wants to get into it get into it for the right reasons to make a difference to people's life because if you do that and you listen and you take on all the, the other bits around the edges you, you, you'll you really really enjoy it So you said you've got dyslexia how difficult was that to do up in, in school and in life in general? Very 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 difficult I mean it's, it's one of these ones I think a lot of people don't understand what it's like to have either learning disabilities, physical disabilities, unless you're there. Unless you're unless yeah. you're unless you're in it. You I mean people go, oh I find this hard and you go, really? <laughs> really? So I still can't spell. I mean I really struggle that's how bad it is. My processing's quite difficult. So at school it was horrendous. Utterly horrendous. It was just so difficult to get through just the normal things. I, I'm lucky that when I went back to university and college, I learned a lot of good coping strategies. And because I loved sport, that helped me because it was a subject matter I really I really liked. But what I found is throughout the, the time is a lot of people who, who drift into sport have learning difficulties because that's that's what makes them passionate. They, they kind of drift to something they they enjoy. So for me, that that was a bit that that I kind of got through. Nowadays, um, I'm not I'm not overly sensitive about it. Um, I'll spell words wrong. I'll make a mistake. And if you're going to ask me, if you're going to criticise me and say, um, I think you've spelled that wrong, I'm going to go, yeah, I'm dyslexic. I've got a learning disability. Yeah. And 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 I kind of try now to be um, to not not a role model. I don't like using that word. But to try and raise awareness or to try and help young people, the ones coming behind me, so they don't feel embarrassed, like I did as a nine-year-old. Um, so they can maybe be a wee bit more confident and they can go, well, if he can do it, I can certainly do it. So um, I think if and, and if we can use sport as that power to make a bit of a difference, then, then, then I'm all up for that. I'm all up for trying to do that. So do you feel like you're showing people what can be done, even though you've got a, a disability? Absolutely, I think I think it's in all of our. Uh, I certainly think part of of my um, my purpose is to make sure that I can 
raise awareness of some areas um, and make a difference uh, to, to society in, in general. You've got to champion for these things, I think. You've got to make um, a bit of a difference, but you've also got to help people who are coming behind you, because if you think about it, I didn't have any role. I mean, dyslexia wasn't spoken about in the 80s, so I was simply classed as a problem child. I was shouted at. I was just done all that, whereas a lot, a lot of people nowadays, the opportunities are there and people help. So what we have to, I think, do more and more is say, right, how do we make these opportunities better for, for everybody? So for me, I think it's it's raising awareness, it's helping, it's doing anything to make sure that somebody coming along can go, I can go and achieve that. And if you can make people sit up and notice and make changes, um, whether or not that's saying, look, we need we need pink paper because it's easy to read, you need better access, you need, you, you know yourself, there's so many things yeah. that we can do better. We can do them better. But if nobody puts their hand up and says, excuse me, I think you need to change that, then it will never change. So I don't mind, I don't mind being a bit of an annoyance sometimes and going, I think we need to change this. I mean, me too, because I've got a stutter when I talk. And also, I've got cerebral palsy, so I have a physical disability. So, and now I'm doing a broadcast degree for, for TV and radio at university. So, I'm just trying to spread awareness as well, you know. I, I feel like, I feel like when, you talk, when you talk about it, it lets people know what can be achieved, you know. I, I I could not agree with you more. I think I mean I I think what you've just said there it motivates me. It makes me quite humble to listen to what you've just said because I think if you do more of that, more people will go. I wanted to do that. I didn't think that was possible, but it is. And I think I think that people like yourself inspire people like me to go right. Okay, what next? How do we go and do that next? How yeah. do we make a difference? How do we go and champion for that? So I think. I generally think if I can help in any small way make a difference for the, the generations coming behind me, let's keep doing it. Let's keep raising awareness, keep inspiring, because somebody might listen to this and might be 9, 10, 11 and go, well, I'm going to go and do that now because I believe in myself, even though nobody else does. So yeah. I, I'm with you on that, pal. I think that's... And I just want to say the exact same thing that you said. I left secondary school with no with no qualifications, and now I'm doing a broadcast degree in in the UWS. So brilliant, brilliant mate, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So I just want to ask you: Do you find it difficult, difficult mentally, to deal with? You you, you mentioned that you felt like you you were being a problem to everyone before. So do you, do you feel like that's a kind of stigma that we need to get rid of? Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, 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 I totally agree with that. I think it's sometimes, whether or not, I mean, it's, it's always this debate about, around about mental health or anything, but I always think mental well-being is probably one. So, yeah, that I, I'm, tr- I'm really passionate about trying to reduce stigmas. I hate labels. I hate people saying, you are this. Um, but it's important that people respect. So I think respect, kindness, showing respect, being kind to people is so, so important. Um, and I think that's the part that that I do. So, some days some days are a struggle. Um, I'm, I'm an ambassador for Dyslexia Scotland, so I listen to a lot of parents um, and a lot of young people who tell me, and I, and I can resonate with a story where they say, life's really hard. Everything takes me an extra 15 minutes to read it, to put it down on paper, to to do anything. They, they all take a bit of time. So I have, to, I, I, I sometimes, I, I sometimes think, and I think when you were saying that there, I, I think, I think sometimes I, I go, oh, I wish I, I wish this is really frustrating because I can't get that sentence down. But I have to breathe and I have to take a step back and go, right, let's go again, Paul calm down, you go. So well, you were saying there about leaving secondary school, but going on, you've went, you've went up those rungs and those ladders, regardless of what any, any road bump somebody's put in your road, you've went, yeah. I'll get over them and I'll get through that. And, and I say that to people, don't worry 
that some days you're going to feel down and upset about it because that's normal. But what's more important is you, you pick yourself up and you find a coping strategy to keep moving yourself forward because that's so important and it's so important that we, we continue to put that message out to people. What would you say to people that have been struggling during this lockdown in particular? Oh, mate, I think it's I think it's speaking. I, I think that's the... The big one I, I found, um, I found from a social media point of view, or from friends and from WhatsApp groups and all that, that what's got me through is is having a bit of a laugh about things that I've done and been involved in in the past. So if you think about it, I get I get a lot of comfort when I speak to a lot of my friends because we've been friends in football for God, God only knows, but we've got some fantastic stories. So we we, we kind of go like that. So at the moment in time when you can't play. Or you, or you're finding life a bit tricky. You can get on that WhatsApp group and have a bit of a laugh. You can go and look in social media and people post and. Re- Do you remember this game? You're like, gee, how long ago was that? <laughs> Did I? My hair was never like that. So I think that's been been good. And I think that the the good bit is trying to see that bit of kindness for people. So for me, the the part of being involved in sport is you're involved in a community, and you're involved in a good community. Um, you mentioned at the start there about being a, a St. Mon fan, so St. Mon done all right this season. Yeah. So, so, so you know, some some days, some days, it's been actually all right to be a St. Mon fan. So when, so so when, when I, I, I can, if I could quickly give you this one, sorry if I digress, buddy. But I'll give you this. There's memories, and there's memories that nobody can take away. So there's a couple this year. One Scotland qualifying. So unbelievable. The whole house went in uproar. I've got two young kids, so uh, Shay's 10 and Bella's 7. So it's it's kind of like, so when Davy Marshall done that, we all went mental in the house. So we've got this memory that's stuck in our head now that nobody can take away. Now, we wouldn't have had that memory because we might have watched it in a different place, but we watched it in there. And, of course, someone beat Rangers in the League Cup and our last minute, right now, we never bought the game in because we just didn't bother for some bizarre reason. We listen to the radio and we're all staring at this radio as we're going, it's two each. And then all of a sudden we're going, did he just say Conor McCarthy scored? No. Wait, what? So, it's, it's as I say, it's holding on to the good things and remembering the good people that are out there. And, and I think I'm quite fortunate that there's so many good people that I can rely on and pick up the phone. My big mate will pick the phone up and we'll, we'll blether for about an hour about a five-a-side game we played 25 years ago. But do you know something? It's helped in those days when you've went, I'd like to get back outside and yeah. do something. So, so they, they think it really helped, mate. So would you say football's been a real coping mechanism during lo- lockdown? Oh, mate, with, without one, one million percent. I'm, I'm actually... I've done a wee bit of work with my own club, uh, so I help out at West Park where my son plays. So, so, we've, so we've been getting the coaches on a wee bit of a call. And do you know something? It's not just about being able to see another face. Also, the guys that I coach with, the friends that you've got. Um, so I see that. I also see it from my son's point of view. So he's he's got friends outside of school who all play for the same team. Yeah. So on a Saturday morning, and a Saturday morning, it's a bit bizarre now because, of course, you don't chat doors anymore. You WhatsApp your your pals. I'm kind of going, you're ten. <laughs> so, but they've been getting out. They've been getting out for the old fashioned ten twenty one doing the school. So half a dozen of them, a dozen of them away doing the school, a few jackets down, and off, off they go and and they play. And do you know something? That's helped them. It's helped us all. So, and the memories you can create. So. I've always thought that football, it sometimes gets criticism for a lot of negativity. But I think at the community level, I think it's been a real coping strategy for some people because you've got friends in there that you can pick the phone up, have a blether with, put the phone down and feel a wee bit better about yourself. So, yeah, I I, I think it's fundamentally helped a lot of people, certainly myself, um, through this period. Yeah. Before, you did a video called Football Saved My Life. And yep. for me, that was so inspiring to watch. Thanks, mate. Just talk to us a little bit about that. <laughs> it's maybe one of the most surreal, surreal things I've ever done. Megan, it's, it's, I remember it getting created. I remember somebody saying to me, I remember, as I said to you about the dyslexia thing, I speak quite openly about things because I think it's important. 
So my, yeah. my father committed suicide and, and I've spoke quite openly because I think if I can, it might help somebody trigger something to go, oh, I never thought about it like that. Um, and I remember a, a, a guy at the Scottish FA at the time, Greg Mailer, who was our head of comms, came up and said, would you do what you've just done to camera? And I went, what? Just talk what I've just said. And he went, I would you do it? And I went, I don't think there's a problem for that, but I don't think anybody will be interested. And he said, no, I think people would. And um, I always remember we recorded it and it all got done. Um, and I remember I went to work, it was a Tuesday, and I went to work, my wife said, I, I said, that video's getting released today. And she said, are you ready? On Monday night, sorry, she said, are you ready for that tomorrow? And I went, ready for what? And she went, are you ready for what's going to come of it? And I said, nothing will come of it. I said, it's just a daft video. Um, and I remember going out and I left my work at four o'clock and my wife was going out to some, so we kept well, passing ships to look after the kids. And my, my wife texted me, she was going to the PTA at the school and went like, you've just been on report in Scotland because BBC ran with but I was the headline. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, check your phone now. I was running about after my kids. And I checked my phone, and my phone was going mental. And I was going, what? And then there was, honestly, Regan, it was like bonkers. There was text messages from people I hadn't spoken to in years. And it just made me realise that there are so many people out there with so many challenges that that just resonated with them. And they just, whether or not it was the subject matter or whether or not they were just like, that, you know something, it, it, it's important that we talk. And I get so many phone calls, text messages, WhatsApps, whatever it was, from people just going, thanks, because I, I, I'm struggling, or just to let you know, my dad, my brother committed suicide, or look, I've felt like that, thanks for letting me be open up. And, and it was just a quite a surreal moment to to kind of go, yeah, we can make a difference. And and, and, it, and it's something I'm really proud of. Um, don't get me wrong, I, I still look back at it and go, how, how did that go from that to boom to being this big yeah. explosion? So it was quite surreal, mate. It was quite surreal, but I'm quite proud that, that I managed yeah. to do it. People that will uh, text you and say, I'm struggling, are you able to help me? I, I, I don't think many people text me and say they were struggling, could, could I help them? I think a lot of people confided to say, I'm doing, by seeing this, I'm going to go and do something about this. So I got a lot of that. But what I found, what I think I found from doing it was that a lot of people have started to speak about those particular areas, whether or not that's their mental well-being or whether or not they're talking about going and trying to do something and, and change their life. So I've had a lot of people, I'm seeing the, the words that you say, that inspirational, but a lot of people, I don't think it's inspirational, but a lot of people have came and said that was this the moment I needed to speak about it. So I've seen a lot of people being a wee bit more open and honest about whether or not it's your mental well-being, whether or not that's how you feel about your physical disabilities, your mental disabilities, whatever it is, I see a lot more people now willing to say, I'm struggling and I need to go and do something about it. And I think that can only help when we start to speak about society getting better. We shouldn't be stigmatising people or bullying people or doing any of that. So... Um, that's the bit that I think I'm really proud of that people are still it still seems to go on and um, and, I, and I still get people come up to me and going are you the person that did that video? I go what, what video? Oh yeah, yeah 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 that's me yeah so it, it, quite surreal I have to admit So I know in the past done some some uh, stuff with the Cruise Boy charity through Ayrshire College Yes Do you feel like having mental health charity days are, are important to, to to help people realise that mental health is a, a big issue in society. One 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 thousand percent. I was really impressed when I came down to Ayrshire College because I think the what the, the guys did that day was 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 incredible. I think we've got to take away that stigma because we all we all struggle. We all really struggle some days. I mean, lockdown's been really tough. But I don't think a lot of people understand still what it's like to to, to yeah. struggle, to have those those moments in your life where you go, this is really rubbish. Um, 
so I think we've got to do, we've got to do more. We've got to do more to, to raise awareness. I always steal my grand's phrase of be kind to somebody. If you yeah. can't be kind to somebody, don't do anything. Just be kind. Just be nice. Just, just be respectful. And I, I think if we can be more respectful, more kind, more open, more honest, will help more people. Um, and I, I think that's something that we should we should try and do more of because. Um, if we don't put the hand of friendship out and we don't say, well, do you know someone I can help you out today, then really are we are we really are we doing the right thing? And that, and that and that's something that I think I'm I'm big on making a bit of a difference and saying, do you know something? Just be kind. Do one kind thing a day, and you'll yeah. make a difference in his life. And I think that's so important. I just want to ask you, see your little boy. How is he coping during lockdown? Because obviously it's totally different for a lot. Obviously they've got no school. They've got no no route. No routine of football every week. How are they coping during it? They've, I think I think it's it's, it's it's a tough one because they've done all right. They've done all right, but that's because they've and, and I'm probably lucky. I've got a garden and they can get out. But yeah, I would say that the the part is it's it's been tough because the the week to week bit a bit going and doing all that now. For my son, he'll probably not be any, any different to any, anybody else. Yeah. I, I used to find a lot of parents would say to me, on the so we, we, we would coach on a Friday night, and I would find a lot of parents saying, this is the best part of their week. So they came and they got big smiles because they might have had a tough week at school. They might have just had just a tough, just, just, you know, just being a child was tough. So they come and they run about, and then on a Saturday, so when I speak to Shane, he said that, Playing that wee game on a Saturday morning sometimes just was the wee lift that everything needed, do you know what I mean? And you know yourself, just somebody watching a game of football, I've been able to take it and, and him saying, do you know something, sometimes I'm missing kicking a ball into a net yeah. against somebody else. And I think that's the bit that, 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 that has been taken away and it's been quite tough. We, we've put in, I mean, we, we've done online sessions, we've done Zoom fitness sessions, but it's no the same as the, the wee bit at the start and the wee bit at the end where they can come in there taking kids and they can talk about daft stuff, can't they? And they can they can have a wee chat and they can go, what, did you see Ronaldo's goal last night? Did you see Messi's goal? And they can be a 10-year-old. And then at the end of training, every time, I, Regan, I'll say this about coaching, right? A, a, a wee bit off on a tangent, sorry, pal, but we will run a coaching session for an hour and a half, right? We will run them and run them and run them. They'll play, they'll play, they'll play. The sweat will be pouring off them. We'll go and collect all the cones, get all the balls, get ready to put the stuff in the car. They're still sprinting about. And you go, <laughs> end of the set. But they just want to get a go on the big net. They want to go and they want to wrestle about. They want to be kids. And and I think that's, I think we have to understand. And, I, and the one thing I've always said is, if adults like me can make a few more sacrifices in this lockdown to let some of the younger population get back and get enjoying some stuff that they would do. I'm willing to do that because I think they deserve it because they, they've been hit quite hard on missing school and missing that bit of fun and enjoyment that that playing sport brings them. We've got the Scottish Premiership and the Scottish Championships. Yep. So, so what have you been doing in your job? So... Uh, it was a wee bit. Uh, it's probably nearly a year now, believe it or not. So we still have we still had a few programs. So when we we came out of the, when we went into the first lockdown, we um we of course it was always I think I did a bit of crisis management and how could we do some things and how could we we change some things round about. So that that was the that was the the first part of of some of our programs and and so on and so forth. Um, as you know, um, some of our coach education team put a lot of coach education online, so a lot of guys did that and then we had to work quite hard with the government and with all of our uh, affiliated associations to get the game back so if you remember during the summer last year we kind of creeped back out again and yeah. people could play but there was a lot of work I mean I never thought I'd be in my whole days writing guidance to let people come back and play football do you know what I mean normally you just go open the gates let everybody run in and just be safe do you know what I mean yeah I know but but now we're saying that right, you need to sanitise your hands, you'll need to work in wee bubbles, don't mix them, parents can't come out. So we had to keep doing all of that. So we went from probably the, the tail end of June, I think it was, 
all the way up um, up to about December time, um, do, do, making sure that the clubs were all safe. So part of our role has been to make sure that we support all those community clubs and um, to make sure they're still there. So when we come back out of this lockdown again, um, what we're trying to do is how do we re-engage with that population? How do we make sure, as you say, that we get, no matter if you're 5, 15, 55, 105, we get you back on a football pitch, we get you enjoying it. So all our work just now is how can we support clubs? How can we make sure volunteers are all right? How can we make facilities are fit for purpose? So when we do get to get back out, we do it in the best way that we can because we owe it to hundreds of thousands of people who love our sport to get them back out. So that's been the work. Um, it's going not the normal work of going, here's football, but more about thinking about how we can do it. And, and the other bit about it is making sure we don't lose anybody. So how do we how do we make sure we inspire everybody again and get more people in? Because you know yourself, if you've been stuck in the house for so long, we don't want you feeling that you don't want to come back. We want you back. And our job will have to be bang that big drum, get people back out, get them enjoying the sport again and, and, and going again. Yeah, I'm just going to say, do you think because of lockdown, more and more people will want to play football? I, I think so. I think there's two things. One, I, I use this analogy when, when I speak to a few people. I'm sure there's people with a football under their arm standing behind the door waiting to go out and going, just tell me when I can go. Just tell me when I can go and play football. Doesn't matter. Just tell me. Also, the Euros are coming. So although the Euros won't be the same as we would all have loved it to be, with Hamden being full and fan parks and all of that, it might be a bit different. Scotland's still there. Forget anything else. We are still at the championship. So I've already got, with my kids, my Panini sticker album. I'm already putting my stickers in it. I'm already really excited. Scotland's going to be at a major championship, so I'm, I'm really excited. And then we've got to use that moment because that moment will be when a child at eight years of age, who I was back in 1982, sees John McGinn, Andy Robertson singing the national anthem at a major championship, we want them to go, right, where do I play? Where do I play? How do I get on a pitch? So let me on a pitch. So if we can do more of that, then we, and that, and that's what I'm saying, we have to make sure that we inspire everybody to get back on that football pitch and go, right, we've got you now, you're not going anywhere. Stay in here, play the sport, make it fun, make it enjoyable, and let's make um, more kids smile. So there's a massive opportunity to really engage um, uh, the Scottish population back into the sport. Yeah, I was just going to say that, because obviously Scotland qualifying will definitely inspire people to play ball yes. from a young age, but especially people that are old as well, who who, who are just saying, Scotland are doing great, I want to play, play football. Uh, absolutely. Well, if you think about it, I would, I would say that I'm, I'm, I'm 46 years of age, and, and I'm inspired because... I mean, I remember, and I think what would be really good is generational things, if you think about it. It was 19, uh, 1998 in France when we last qualified. So there's people who have never seen us qualify. There's people who have been at that bit. <laughs> so there you go, you've never seen us qualify. So there's people like you. Right, so there's people like you, not born when it was there. I remember that. I remember the game against Brazil. So the good parts. A John Collins so, penalty. Don't call so I remember that. I remember going, who's oh, going against Brazil? This is brilliant. So if you think about it there, there will be a generation thing. There'll be dads will be able to say to their sons and daughters, here's what it is. Mums will be able to say, I remember going to that game. We'll have parents will be able to do that. Grandparents will be able to say, do you know something I remember 1974 and we used to qualify all the time. There is a moment when Scotland, as a nation, can stand and go, this is brilliant. We are one country. We have a chance in our lifetime to watch our, our, our national team do it. And, and if I think about the inspiration, I went to the Women's World Cup with my family and it was maybe one of the greatest things I've ever done. To stand in the part of the France and watch your national team at a World Cup. I asked my dad in 1986, could we go to the World Cup? The World Cup was in Mexico. And he went, maybe the next one. And then it was Italy. And he went... Maybe the next one, but the next one he was dead. So 
Unfortunately, I never got to go, and I made a mistake of never going to a World Cup. So when the women's team qualified, I went on, me and my wife went, we're going. I don't care how we get there, we're going to that World Cup because our nation got to a, a major final. It was it was utterly, as a memory, when I close my eyes, I just smile. Although the result never went our way, you can't take that fantastic memory away from me. I was just going to say, obviously the ladies, they qualified to see a big upturn and, and, and your females wanting to take up football. I think, I think we've now got inspirational role models. I think we've got people within the female game who have been trailblazers. Um, do you know what I mean? That they've really done well. You mean uh, Kim Littles of the world? Do you know what I mean? Caroline Weir. I don't know if you've seen Caroline Weir's goal last week yeah. when she in the dink for, for Man City. You just go, that, that's just incredible. So we've now got these kind of superheroes that young girls can look up to. I'm so happy nowadays that we, we, we've got a long work to go. Don't get me wrong, we've still got a lot of work to do. But I'm happier now that I see a lot of our clubs have changed. When I came into to post many years ago, we still had the terminology of boys' clubs. And you would say to people, um, we'd like to get girls involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you change it from boys' clubs? No, nah, no, over my dead body. That's the name of the club. And you think, but you want to get girls along here and it's got boys' club in their title? Come on. So I'm delighted that a lot of them have changed to community clubs and they're really opened the door to a lot of females coming in. And we're seeing a lot more females now involved in our sport. And it's good to see that it's not just seen as what was happening in my day. Right, boys, when we'll go and play football, it's let's go and play football and everybody's involved. And I think a more inclusive sport is what I have to work towards to, to create. And it might take a number of years, but we'll, we'll make it happen. We will make it happen because it's important. So, um, But we've got good role models now in the sport. Yeah. So I'd, next, I just want to ask you about St. Mirren. Who would be your favourite St. Mirren players that you've ever watched? Well, there's always a challenge here. Tony Fitz, because he's a legend, and, and, and I love Tony Fitz to bits. I, I, I always have to put Ian Ferguson at the very top of the list um, because he scored in 87 and I was at the Scottish Cup final, so I'm lucky enough to have seen St Murn win the Scottish Cup final. So Ian Ferguson's always got to be up there because he, he did it. But if, if I go through the players that I have seen um, at St Murn, it's quite a Billy Stark. So, you mean you think Starkey played? You mean it was Jimmy Bowen? Incredible when you think that. Campbell Murray, I walk beside Campbell Murray, a fantastic um, goalkeeper back in the day. Frank McAvaney, that I mentioned at the very start. Steve Clark, Scotland manager, St. Murn player, you know what I mean? Incredible. I also was lucky enough that um, Victor Munoz, um, that a lot of people forget who was a Spanish captain, came and played for St. Murn. I mean, played for Barcelona, was a Spanish captain and ended up at St Murn. God only knows how, how that ever happened. Do you know what I mean? Chip Charlie, uh, Davy Elliott. I mean, there's been there's been some players throughout the years that you've just went, that, this this is this is incredible. You know what I mean? Uh, um, John McGinn um, and, and then his brother who who are always, you mean, if I look back in the last few years, Stephen McGinn, when yeah, St Murn in St Montman, I always remember it and it's a, a memory that sticks with me to, St Montman were bottom of the we were bottom, I think we were bottom of the, thing, bottom of the championship, looking like we are going to get relegated, Jack Ross came in as a manager, but Stephen McGinn came and Stephen McGinn was a very good player, now I'm sure Stephen could have went to a lot of clubs, but Stephen um, who I know quite well, Stephen decided that he would um, he would come back to St Montman and I think it was as a favour to St Montman to help them out because they meant a lot to him. Um, and St Murn played a game against New Saints in the, I can't remember what that was called, the Challenge Cup or whatever it was called. Yeah. Um, and Stephen played incredible that night. It was a Saturday night. I'll never forget it. My son was there. And it was probably that moment where my son became a, just the twig went off and he became a massive St Murn fan. And Stephen was incredible that night. And then Stephen, I would say, and people will say, no, he never, but I would say Stephen hauled us out of that um that relegation problem we were in. He single-handedly, I think he got us out of it. And then the next season, what did we do? We went on and won the championship. So if you think about it that way, Stephen McGinn's always going to be one of those ones. And the modern era is somebody I just I just always admire. Um yeah. so how good is it to see players like John McGinn, McLean, um 
done been so many that have went through some running. They've done so well for Scotland as well. Morgan as well. Oh, ab- absolutely. I think it, 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 it fills you with a wee bit of pride. It fills you with a wee bit of pride, if you know what I mean. I mean, I, John McGinn won the won the the League Cup um, with with St. Mons. So, I mean, it felt. I mean, when you see John McGinn now um, doing incredible in the Premiership, you kind of think he played for St. Mons. And people are what? Kenny McLean, as you say, scored scored the penalty getting through to the final playoff. You know, I played with St. Mons, and and you know, it's that kind of surreal moment. It builds you. Lewis Morgan, Lewis Morgan was brilliant for St. Yeah. He was the, 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 the one I always was disappointed and never worked out for him at Celtic because I don't think people noticed how good he was. The season we won the championship, Lewis Morgan, and a period between, I'm sure many St. Martin fans will tell you this, a period between November and February, he was unplayable. He was unplayable. He was incredible. We played a game against Dundee United and he was he was just unbelievable that day. And, and you kind of went, this guy is this guy is incredible. Um, so it fills you a, a, a it fills you a lot of pride when you see um, players players moving on, particularly coming through the academy. And if you look at the modern team we've got at the moment in time, you've got Ethan Erehon. Ethan Erehon has only come up for twenty years of age, and he's he's been incredible for us this season. So the product that the guys do at the academy is, is really good. But it fills you with pride when you think. They're local, they're young kids who are at our club, but they're now they're now doing incredibly well across the across the uh, the big uh, uh, part of Scottish football, uh, well world football now really. So you you've watched Scotland quite a lot. What what would be your favourite memories of watching Scotland? <laughs> sometimes sometimes you don't have a favourite memory of watching Scotland. <laughs> 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 it's probably a hard, it's a hard one. That um, there there is there is there is a lot. Um, I would say if I, if, I, if you if you if you push me, I'll give you this. I'll give you this one. Um, Scotland England, the the two each game is as you remember rightly. Lee Griffiths, uh, double free kick. Yeah, I was at that game too. No, I was there. So I was there with my son. So we we went off. We went off early. And it was a remember it was how hot it was. It was like yeah, it was hot that day. I. Roasting hot, so we turned up early. And I remember sitting, we were we were really early. So I remember sitting outside, me and him eating chips outside, and and, and you were kind of going, we were playing England, and and then the game started. Remember, it was England were all over us, and then then it was one nothing, and you're going, happy cool. And then the free kick came, and what was it like when I <laughs> free kick? Went mental, didn't it? it? Went absolutely mental. So I'm sitting. I was quite lucky because because of where I work, I was in a, I was in the upper bit. And I always remember the second free kick came in and everybody was going, oh, what's going on? Right? It was like mad. And I always remember the guy the guy in front of me turning around and going, what do you think? And I'm going, this shows you typical Scottish fan or typical person. I went like to him, why don't they just let Charlie McGrew hit it as hard as he can or something? You know what I mean? And you're going, and my son's up pulling at my leg. And I'm going, what is it? And he's going, and I'm going, ah, Charlie McGrew, maybe, maybe we just, maybe he'll, he'll drop it. Maybe it was David James, wasn't it? Maybe he'll drop it and we'll, we'll cover it. No, um, maybe he'll drop it and we'll, we'll put it in. So, of course, he went like, I went, what is it, Shane? He went, how can Lee Griffiths no go the other side? And I went, what? He said, how can Lee Griffiths no put it in the other side? And I went, what are you talking about? And then, of course, boom, and honestly, the guy in front of me just went like that with my son and picked him up and shook him above his head. Man, I don't know who you are, but just you keep saying these things. And, and I'm sure you'll remember it. See, for that two minutes or something, whatever we were in the league, it was maybe the greatest, one of the greatest memories. And nobody can ever take it away from you. It was just, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure like me, you kind of just smiled and just were like that. There was tears of happiness pouring down my eyes. I was going, we're going to beat England, this is... And the place was mental, I think. It was, it was, it was mad. It was... So, there's been millions throughout the years, but that for for that wee two minutes, when the world seemed to stop, and that's what football's about, it gives you that. You can put it in the brain, you can store it in your memory box, and you can go... And when and when and sometimes when you pause and you go, ah, oh, Clyde's not that good, you can go, oh, remember Lee Griffith's second free kick? Oh, my back. <laughs> so, uh, the millions, but that one in particular, mate, is 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 maybe 
is it up there with the, with the greatest? I've got a brand new book coming out. Yeah, yeah. Lucky enough, lucky enough with my, my wife Joey McNeil, we we um we uh, we were commissioned um to to do a book for for dyslexia. It, it, it's been a bit of a labour of love for us. So it's a, a bit of a help book just for families to kind of go and um, go and try and, and, and work with it because I think it's so important that you try and, and do something. I mean, I, I've known what it's like for families to have tough times when, when they know their son or daughter is dyslexic, what resources do they need to use, how does life feel, and it's always very challenging. So this was this was an opportunity for us to do something. It comes out on the 18th of March. Um, it's, it's on Amazon and Waterstone. So just a, just a great opportunity for us to, to do something and hopefully, as I said before, um, help make a little bit of a difference to, to some families that are out there that may be struggling. So that's that's what we're doing and, and fingers crossed it'll work. So when will the book be, uh, be available? So 18th of March, 18th of March is when it's launched. It's, you can get it for pre-order at the moment in time, but um, you can get it online at um, Waterstones or Amazon, but on the 18th of March, and whenever a shop opens again, um, you'll, you'll be able to uh, you'll be able to purchase the book. Yeah. So, Paul, I just wanted to ask you, what would you say to to anyone who's struggling with dyslexia or they don't want to talk about it and, and mental mental health, especially and football, because you hear like uh, football dressing room has been a hard place to be. No one wants to say that they're not feeling good in a football dressing room. What would you say, say to that? I, th- I think it's I think it's being honest. I think I go back to the bit about about being kind or, or being or being respectful to people. Um, I think I think that's the most important bit. Um, to, to say to say, look, how can you be um, how can you be respectful to somebody in life? And I think that's the most important bit. So the the bit about being open, being honest, being respectful, and doing all that, asking for help, I think is is a, is a very very important bit to ask for, to ask for assistance, to ask for help, to to ask for support. Yes, these places are, are, are there, but I think what we've discussed earlier on is is, is important. I mean, it, it's if we can raise awareness about things, people maybe think differently about it. So, can we challenge the stigmas about? Um, learning disabilities, physical disabilities, racism, sectarianism, can we challenge them? Because if we do challenge them, it will make a difference to society. So I think it's always been open and honest and, and talking to people um, as best you can. Okay, Paul, just boys, thank you for coming on the show. It's been great. It's been great to have you on. A pleasure. A pleasure. The best hour I've spent for a long while, buddy. The best hour I've spent for a long while. So thank you so much, my friend. You take care, sir. Thank you to Paul for joining me on the podcast. It was a really inspiring story and hope everyone enjoyed it. Thank you.